0: I don't usually talk about the titles of my sermons, um, but today I want to share it with you because I think the title of the sermon gets to both the real essence and the real enemy of prayer. And so the title of the sermon today is Bold Helplessness, Bold Helplessness, And, and I think bold helplessness is the essence of prayer. I mean, think about it. We are bringing our requests in prayer. We're bringing our requests to the God of the universe, whom we have offended by rebelling against him. And yet we are bringing requests of him in prayer, trusting that Jesus Christ is enough to both buy us access to him and Allow him to listen to us. It's bold that we bring requests to the God, the sovereign God of the universe that we have offended and rebelled against the idea that we would approach him in prayer at all, much less that he would listen to us is a bold idea. So I think bold helplessness is the essence of prayer. Not only that we would come into his presence, but also prayer is the admission that we're helpless. If you you are praying or if we are praying with our three reasons we think we are sufficient to what God has called us to, we're doing it wrong. Prayer is an admission that we need help. Bold helplessness is the essence of prayer, but helplessness is also the greatest enemy of prayer because we hate the idea that we're helpless. Paul Miller, in his book called The Praying Life, says this it's going to be on the screen the gospel. God's free gift of grace in Jesus only works when we realize we don't have it all together. The same is true for prayer. The very thing we are allergic to, our helplessness, is what makes prayer work. It works because we are helpless. We can't do life on our own. And so some of us are here today, and by us I mean me, We're here today and we both love and hate the reality of our helplessness. We love it because we know the gospel and we know that in our helplessness, Christ comes and meets us and empowers us and provides pardon for us. And we know that in our helplessness, he is sufficient. And at the same time, there's a part of us that hates it because we want to think we can do it on our own. And so this idea of helplessness is the enemy to prayer. And yet helplessness is exactly what prayer is. But until we embrace this reality, we will not fully love either the gospel, nor will we really be a praying people. And so our title for today is Bold Helplessness, because prayer is about boldly embracing our helplessness and his sufficiency. Now, our passage today starts right after the events from last Sunday, where Nathan just did a, an amazing job covering this story about Peter and John. They've witnessed a miracle where Jesus has healed this man. And I love even thinking about this story. Uh, the, Peter and John are standing before these people in the temple. They're explaining, look, this did not come because we're really strong or because we're really religious. God just did an amazing thing through Jesus Healed this man. And while Peter or John are explaining this, this guy's jumping around and yelling behind him, right? I mean, the guy's leaping and running, and just amazing things have happened in his life. And Peter and John are explaining what's happened. And I loved how Nathan showed us that they got right to the gospel and good news and the bad news of the gospel and the call to repentance and the need for Christ. And Peter and John are arrested and they're brought before the rulers of the temple for their actions. Peter is filled with the spirit, boldly proclaims a Jesus-centered gospel, and the leaders have no idea what to do with them. Be quiet. Don't speak of this. Well, we're going to talk about it. Well, just don't. I mean, they have no idea what to say. Like they're watching a man jump up and down and run around who for 40 years had not moved. And they're watching him do this. And they're like, hey, don't talk about that amazing thing over there. Don't do that. All right, well, we're, we're just going to talk about it. We'll get out of here. And they leave and they go and they find their friends. I love this. It says that they're their friends. Verse 23. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they had heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the nations and the people of Israel, to do whatever your hand, that's God, that your refers to God, with boldness. So Peter and John meet with their friends. And one of the things their friends do is they pray. These are really good friends. And let's, I want to pray and then we're going to look at the content of their prayer. Lord God, you are a good God. And as this verse, these verses remind us you are sovereign. You are Lord. You are in charge. There's nothing happening in this world That is scary to you. There's no threat. No need. No calling. No mission. That is intimidating to you. And so Lord we come to you today. Because all of that is intimidating to us. And we need you. We need you more than we know. And so we come to you today father. Uh, I come to you today because there are hearts all over this room. And in the overflow room. And I don't know all of them. And you do. There are needs all over this room and in the overflow room that you want to meet today and and you alone are powerful and strong enough to do that. And so we we ask humbly ask that you would show your power and your might in our lives today. Meet with us. Meet with us. Holy Spirit, you spoke through the mouth of David in the Psalms. You speak through your word in the book of Acts. Would you give life to the word that is shared today? Would you illumine your word today in our hearts and make our hearts good soil for your word that we might hear wonderful things, wonderful things. We need that. We want that. And the only way that will happen is, Holy Spirit, is if you do that. So we bow our knee to you and and ask that you would do what you do and what you've been doing for all eternity, that you would glorify Jesus and point us to the Father. Would you do that today? We pray all this, hoping, hoping in the strong name of Christ. Amen. Now, I want us to look at the content of their prayer. And so we're going to start in verses 24 and go through the end. They they started in their prayer. They started with a vision of God. That was huge. And compelling. This is how their prayer started. It started with a vision of God that was huge and compelling. Look at what they say in verse 24. Sovereign Lord who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of your father, David, your servant said by the Holy spirit, why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The Kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed for truly in this city, they were gathered together against your Holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate nations, people of Israel to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. That is a vision of God that is huge and compelling. Now, I want us to talk about that briefly. Now, I read a book in 1992 that radically changed my life. It's a very small book. It's called The Knowledge of the Holy by A.W. Tozer. And the first sentence in that book says this. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. That radically changed my life. Because I realized that the most important thing about me was not my abilities, accomplishments, or any of those things. What The most important thing about me is what I know and understand about God. And for some of us, we come in here today and we have a a vision of God that is not entirely connected with what the Bible teaches. Maybe you come in here and you think God is weak. And and you've had this idea that God is is just weak and his hands are kind of tied and he's kind of worried about all the legislation that's happening and all the things are going on in our country. And he's really scared and worried and afraid. And he's up in heaven while we're dealing with it because he's weak and afraid. That's not our God. Maybe you think that he's angry and you were raised in a religious system that taught you that God was angry and he was upset. And if you'd got out of line, he was going to zap you. And what that did is when you got old enough to get out of line and he didn't zap you immediately, You just kind of gave up on it because he wasn't what even what you were told he was. And the reality is that the Bible does say that God is full of wrath and that he hates sin. But that because of Jesus' work on the cross, his wrath is appeased. His wrath is taken away. And so his face toward his children is one of a loving father that rejoices over them. But some of us think he's angry. Some of us think he's distant, that he's uninvolved, that he's like our dad looking at his phone. And our prayers reveal what we think about this God and what we think about this God matters a great deal. I want you to see what they thought about this God, what they thought. Look at this in verse 24. Sovereign Lord, that's how they begin their prayer. Now, this is right after their friend has come back from being arrested for sharing their faith. Sovereign Lord. Sovereign means king, ruler, the one who is in charge and governing all that comes to pass. Lord means ruler, the one alone to whom they would bow their knees. Not the rulers of the temple, not the Roman authorities. God and God alone. That's how they begin their prayer. Sovereign Lord. Second thing we see about their vision of God is that he's creator. Look at this. Who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. Their understanding of God is that he was creator God. That he made the heaven and the earth. Now that's a Hebrew construction called a mirrorism, which means he made everything. If you put two opposite things together and connect them with a conjunction, it it means everything. So night and day means all the time. Heaven and earth means everything. And so they had this vision of God that he was creator, that he had made everything, including the sea and everything in them. And so in their praying, they embraced a biblical theology of creation, that God made everything as creator. Now, you might be tempted, particularly if you've got a scientific bent to think that, well, Brian, that was before microscopes and that was before they had good textbooks and that was before all those other things. And so, of course, they believe that. But you would be wrong to think that that was the prevailing worldview in their day. There were all kinds of origin worldviews, even in their day, and none of them believed in a single creator who had revealed himself through his word. They prayed with a biblical view of creation and that God is creator means that we are made by him. Therefore, we have value. We're made in the image of God. It means that we're made by him and that that means we are responsible to him. He made me, so I am responsible to do what he said. Shall the thing made say that the thing that made it, you don't, you shouldn't have made me this way. Like I'm responsible to him. And if he made me, then I am made for him. Everything about me is to be surrendered to him. That's what it means that I'm created by him. Now, the reality, the, the reason we go after competing worldviews on origins Is because we want to escape those things. And what we need to understand is that every worldview is a faith system. Every one of them. There is no YouTube of creation. You understand that? There's no YouTube video of of creation. There's also no YouTube video of the primordial ooze. We, We have no proof of those things. They're both a faith system. Now, many of us want to live in a world where we're not responsible to anyone but ourselves. And we want to exist for our own sake. We don't want to exist for someone else. We want to exist for ourselves. And one of the problems, if you buy into a worldview that that frees you of being responsible to God and frees you of being for God, it also frees you of having value. You, You no longer have value if you're not made in the image of God. You're the, you're the accident of time and chance and the collision of amino acids. That's what you are. But the Bible says we are fearfully and wonderfully made. We're not just the product of DNA. I've I've shared this before, but when I was growing up, um, I, I had, I endured just the, the, the experience of growing up needing Husky jeans. I don't know if you know about this with boys clothes, like there's uh, regular and everybody wants to be regular, right? There's slim and awesome. I mean, you're slim. And then there's Husky. Now of all the things the PC police could go after, is that not an adequate one? Like I think we ought to free the boys of the world from Husky and yet they're still there. And so I would come home and, You know, I I just I struggle. I still struggle with body image issues. Like I just struggle with that. And so I I would talk to my mom and and she would say, Brian, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. And, you know, maybe God just loved a lot of me. I don't know. I don't know what it is, (laughs) but, uh, you know, you're fearfully and wonderfully made. And so if you have a, a worldview that teaches you're the random chance accident of time. And DNA, what do you say to your child? What do you say? They had a biblical vision of creation that, that they were that God had made heaven and earth and the sea and all that was in them. and that fueled their prayer. Third thing they, they, they prayed about God, this vision of God that was huge and compelling is that God is revealer. Look at verse 25. Who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, and then he quotes Psalm 2. So this sovereign God who created the world and everything in it has spoken his word. And and he, he says specifically, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant said by the Holy Spirit. So God spoke his word through the Holy Spirit. So that's the inspiration of God's word. And so we've got God's word, a book of 66 books written over 1,500 years by over 40 authors, different genres, different continents, different times, different historical contexts, and all of them with one message, the glory of God expressed in the person and work of Jesus toward a rebellious people. And so when they prayed, they viewed God as not just sovereign Lord, not just creator, but as a revealer of his word. Think about it. You and I have access to his word in something we can hold in our hand. He's revealer. All of that was to get them to the one they were most excited about. That's that he is victor. look at verse 25. I mean yeah the end of verse 25. Why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city, we're gathered together against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, had gone with the Gentiles and the people of Israel to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. Now, they are praying that all this is going on in vain. That's, that's the main issue of the prayer because God is victorious. Like all this stuff that's going down, all this stuff that happened to Peter and John, all this stuff that's going to happen throughout the book of Acts, all the stuff throughout the rest of church history is in vain. That's opposed to God because God is sovereign Lord. He's creator. We're going to see that he's orchestrator of all that's going on. So they don't have a chance. It would be like Ohio state against some kind of pop Warner team. Like it's not even a chance. And so they're praying God. They're raging they're making plans and none of it is going to work. It's all going to be in vain because God is victorious. That's how they're praying. They're saying that to God. And last thing they, be, they see about God is that he's orchestrator. Look at verse 28. To do whatever your hand, God's hand, and your plan, God's plan, had predestined to take place. So not only is this great God the one who created everything, the one who spoke into his word, the one who's going to win, but he's also the one who is guiding what is happening. That word predestined, I really wish it didn't make us so uncomfortable. Okay, I really do, because it's in God's word. And God's word is profitable. It, it's a beautiful word. It, it really means that not simply that God knew that it was going to happen, not simply that God allowed that it was going to happen. But it means that God is intimately involved in arranging history so that his plan will come to pass. And the people ascribed everything that was going on. Peter and John arrested. Peter and John freed. Your hand and your plan. And so in this prayer, they're saying that the rulers are lining up to take on God and his Christ. And it's all going to be in vain. And they're praying that, God, you're in charge of all this. Now, they're not praying in a fatalistic way. They're not praying in a rebellious way. They're not praying in a defeatist way. They are simply praying, trusting that God is in charge. Their prayer begins with a grand vision of God. He's sovereign ruler. He's creator. He's orchestrator. My question is, why Why do they pray this I mean, did God forget who he was? Is God not self-aware? Yeah, you guys are right. Thank you. I needed that halftime talk. I was getting a little stressed. Thanks, Coach. Man, you coached me up there. Thank you for that. No, God does not need that. But we do. We do. And if I start my prayers like that, the rest of it could probably just not be said. Yeah, we trust you. You got this. Because you're... You're at work. You're really strong and big. And we're going to be okay. Jesus taught us to pray this way. He said, pray this way. Our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. They begin their prayer with the adoration of God's character. Your sovereign, your creator, your revealer, your victor, your orchestrator. And so we can trust you, which is what they do. And they pray with humble hearts, which is the second part that we're going to see here in their prayer. I love how humble their hearts are. Look at verse twenty (coughs) nine. Excuse me. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. While you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Now, we're going to come back to exactly what they ask for, but I just want to I want us to see their humble hearts they realize there are things going on that they can't control. And humbly, they cast those on the Lord in prayer. Now, Lord, look upon their threats. God, you got that. We can't change that. We can't do anything about it. Lord, if you would handle that, we're going to, as Peter says later in First Peter, we're casting our cares on you. We're casting our anxieties on you because you care for us. So Lord, look upon their threats. That's humility. And then while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. So there are things that we can't accomplish. God, we need you to handle the things that are opposed to us. And God, we need you to handle the things we can't accomplish on our own. That's humility. That is humility. Humility. There's stuff going on we can't control. There's stuff that needs to happen that we can't do. And so, God, we're throwing that on you in humility. They pray with humble hearts. Trusting God with their anxiety and remembering that God is at work and will continue to be at work. Now, this is where it becomes important. The opposite of this kind of prayer is not worry and anxiety. It's pride. The opposite of this kind of prayer is not worry and anxiety. It's pride. Pride says, I've got to handle all this stuff. I've got to handle it. Look at all this stuff I've got to do. And pride, pride keeps us from praying because we think I can stop this and I'm up to this. Humility says, that's not my issue. That belongs to God. And I'm going to give my anxieties to God. I'm going to give my responsibilities to God. And I'm going to trust him with that. The opposite of that's not worry and anxiety. The opposite of that is pride. Pr- worry and anxiety are really the fruit of pride in our lives. We worry because we think we ought to be able to handle it. And we get anxious because we know we can. not And we should be able to. They prayed from humble hearts. And they were humble because they were okay with their helplessness. Third, they prayed for boldness to speak. Look at verse 29. Uh, and now, Lord, look upon your, their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. That is packed. That's, that's really their one request for themselves. They've said, God, handle this and handle this. Now we need this from you. And it's packed. They call themselves bondservants, slaves. It's a word that Paul uses over and over in all of his letters about himself. They ask for it as a gift. God, grant this. We need boldness. We don't deserve it. We can't muster it up, so please grant it. Allow us to continue to speak your word, not our word, your word, God. And allow us to do it with all boldness. It's so interesting to me that at the end of chapter 2, Luke tells us that they were having favor with all the people. Beginning of chapter 3, that starts to change. And so the people are going to need wise, spirit-guided, spirit-empowered boldness to live in the world. And that's what they asked for. Now, one of my favorite verses in Paul's letters shows up in two forms, one in Colossians and one in Ephesians. And you're going to look at both of those in your community group this week. Ephesians 6:18 18 through 20 says this, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And also for me, Paul says, now listen to this, that words may be given to me and opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I'm an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Just a couple of observations. First, Paul asks for prayer. This is Paul. This is Paul. This isn't like some JV guy that just barely has a Bible now. This is Paul. And he's asking for prayer. Paul wants to make sure he's speaking God's word. So he asks people to pray for him about that. But notice... Paul asks people to pray for him for boldness. And maybe this is just me, but I'm really encouraged that the greatest church planter, pastor, missionary the world has ever known needed prayer for boldness. They prayed with a vision of God. They prayed with humble hearts. They prayed for boldness of speech. And fourth, God answered their prayer. Look at verse 31 when they had prayed the place in which they gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. This is the third time in Acts where this is mentioned. There's one indwelling of the Holy Spirit for Christians. When you when you pray, when you uh, become a Christian, the spirit enlivens faith in you. You repent. You express faith in Christ. The spirit has filled you. It's called the indwelling of the spirit. But there's multiple fillings of the Spirit for ministry. It's the third time this is mentioned here in Acts. The Spirit did what the Spirit does. It made them witnesses. And it reminds us that God always answers prayer according to His infinite wisdom and matchless grace. God always answers prayer according to His infinite wisdom and matchless grace. And he answers in one of three ways. Yes, no, or wait. But he always answers prayer. He always does. Now, the issue of prayer brings out all kinds of crazy in circles. There's some people who say that you can just name and claim whatever you want from God. And they twist a couple of verses from the New Testament to try to prove their point. The problem is that's not really true in their life either. Okay. second thing that kind of comes out of crazy is that if you just have enough faith that God will do whatever you want him to do. Another crazy is that if you pray in Jesus name, you'll never suffer, but only prosper. The problem with all of them is that what we haven't recorded in the Bible and the rest of human history is just not true. God always answers prayer according to his infinite wisdom and matchless grace. And sometimes his answer is yes. But sometimes his answer is no and wait. Thank God. So if you were culturally aware during the 90s, you know at least two Garth Brooks songs. Um, One is Friends in Low Places, right? And the other is Come On, Unanswered Prayer." Right? That song came out 25 years ago this month. Yes, you are that old. Okay? <laughs> 25 years ago this month that song was released. And and for those of you who are not, you know, blessed to know some Garth Brooks music, the, the song is a story about Garth going back home to to a football game and he runs into his high school sweetheart. And he sees her and the song is about his realization that he had prayed over and over for God to make her his wife. And then he gets to the point in the song where he looks at his wife. I, I don't know if that's Trisha at this point. But he looks at his wife and says. How could I have ever prayed for that? And, and he wrote this chorus which is full of common grace. It's, it's a little bit wrong in some terminology. But it's full of common grace. Sometimes I thank God for. Remember when you're talking? Yep, that just because he doesn't answer doesn't mean he don't care, which is bad grammar. <laughs> some of God's greatest gifts are unanswered prayers. Now, God always answered prayer, answers prayer. He always does. Sometimes his answer is yes. Sometimes his answer is no. And sometimes his answer is wait. And so God has told some of us to wait. And some of us are frustrated by that. I just need to, if it's okay for me to be okay here, I know it's okay for you to be okay, but if it's okay for me to be okay here, to not be okay here, I'm really struggling with this one right now. Deeply struggling with this one. Particularly about our building situation. I'm struggling with this one hard. And you guys can pray for me about that. That God has called us to wait and to trust him and to trust that he has a good plan and that he's going to walk it out according to his Goodness, and that he always answers prayer according to his infinite wisdom and matchless grace. And now he's telling us to wait. And sometimes that makes it hard. Sometimes God's answer is no. Good parents say no to their kids. Bad parents always say yes. That's what grandparents do. Okay, (laughs) parents need to say no to to their kids. You will not like the product of your saying yes to your child all the time. You will not like that product. God is a good father and he says no sometimes. Sometimes his answer is yes. So let's pray big things. Let's pray big expectant things. There's a question that kind of goes around a lot about uh, mixing theology and prayer question. And the question is, if God is sovereign, why pray? My question is, if God is sovereign, why not pray? If he's the one who's in charge of this thing, why not ask him? Because sometimes his answer is yes. So here's some things that we need to specifically pray for as a church. Um, Mention building, you know about that. The other one is, um, we're going to be specifically praying for Brittany over the next month. Brittany is our missionary that we support in East Asia. Um, she is teaching and she'll be teaching some subject matter on Christianity at her school. She's, uh, we're going to be releasing um, ways to pray and specific names of people to pray for over the next month. You'll see that on the city. So if you're not on the city, sign up so you can get that notification. We're going to be praying that God would give Brittany boldness to proclaim the gospel that God would give her clarity of mind and words and that hearts would be open to hear wonderful things from the truth about God. We're also going to start a monthly prayer update. Aaron Wilson is working on this so that we can be more intentional about our prayer as a church. Again, if God is sovereign, why should we not pray? And so we want to be a more faithful praying church. Prayer is not a get out of pain card. It's not a rub of God's magic lamp. It's not a buzz on his butler speaker. Prayer is our submitting our wills to God and trusting in his power and care to answer according to his infinite wisdom and matchless grace. Prayer is our submitting our wills to God and trusting in his power and care to answer according to his infinite wisdom and matchless grace. So that's how they prayed. A vision of God was compelling. Humble hearts. They asked for boldness to speak and God answered their prayer. And he answers ours too. Sometimes with yes, sometimes with no, sometimes with wait. Now, here's some application points. First thing is this. Is your prayer issue a technique issue or a heart issue? I think think if we polled most of us, there'd be very few of us that said, I'm killing it on prayer. (laughs) And if you are, Praise God for you, keep killing it. Because the rest of us are blowing the curve for you, okay? So keep going with prayer. So for the rest of us, is your prayer issue a technique issue or a heart issue? This weekend on on the men's retreat, J.R. Vassar, who did an exceptional job, and if you weren't there, you missed a great time. He talked about their vision at their church to do 30. They call it 30, 20, 10. So they ask everyone in their church to spend 30 minutes in the morning, spending time with the Lord and his word in prayer, 20 minutes, sometime during the day and 10 minutes a night before they go to bed to pray. And he said this without a habit of prayer, you won't have a heart of prayer. So maybe have some kind of technique of time thinking the time going to work out in my life for me to pray. So maybe you're wondering, what do I do? Well, um, couple of things you can take your work take your bible and a notebook and a pen or whatever you use for data recording and just jot out what you're praying just write it down and and maybe even use your writing as as a way to pray and if if god which always happens all of us have prayer add all of us do and so when you start thinking about that just pray about it just trust that God's in charge of your brain's wired synapses and that he's okay with you talking about what you're wondering about. Just pray. How do I keep track? Oh, and another thing on prayer. Maybe have some kind of, uh, like uh, there's an acrostic that some people use for prayer. Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. Maybe that could be kind of a formula for you to pray. Talk about God and his character, not to remind him he's not confused, to remind you. Confess your sin to him, thank him for what he's done, and then ask him for what you would have him do, submitting your will to his. Maybe your question is, how do I keep track of what to pray for? In the book of Praying Life, Paul Miller talks about uh, using prayer note cards. And I met Dr. Miller a couple years ago, and he was doing um, a roundtable about prayer And I saw he pulls out his note cards and puts them on the table like he's not just saying, hey, this is the way to do it. He's saying this is what I do. And he has a note card for everything he has to pray for and he keeps that updated. Some of you are a a techie and you kind of want to have it kind of more of a tech option. There's lots of apps out there. One of the ones I use is called Echo. Um, You can record prayer requests. You can set reminders. If someone says, hey, would you pray for me on this day? I put that in because my brain will not remember Okay? I put that in and it buzzes me. Hey, pray for this guy on this day about this thing. So there's lots of technique things that we could do. But for most of us, we would like to think that it's a technique issue, but it's really more of a heart issue. Prayer brings us face to face with our helplessness and we don't like that. A quote's going to be on the screen by that guy's name that I don't know how to say. As far as I can see, Prayer has been ordained only for the helpless. (laughs) We don't like that. Prayer and helplessness are inseparable. Only he who is helpless can truly pray. So what's really getting in the way of our praying is not our technique. It's our heart. We don't want to be helpless. We have a distorted view of ourselves. We think our hand is mighty and we can handle it. We have a really small view of God. We think he's not really able. He's not really involved. He doesn't really listen or care. Or he won't listen because of all the things we've done. And so what we need most is not a better technique, but a clearer vision of ourselves and a bigger vision of God that would cause us to fall on our knees in prayer. What we need is a clearer vision of ourselves and a bigger vision of God that would call us to fall on our knees in prayer. And so, last point is this. We are praying to the sovereign Lord who is also our determined Savior. Would you just let that sit on you for a moment? We are praying to the sovereign Lord. Who is not intimidated, surprised, confused, worried, stressed, anxious. He's not any of that. He's not wringing his hands. He doesn't have a checklist. He, he doesn't have strategic plan. Like he he is the one who is orchestrating history for his glory expressed through Christ. For the saving of a rebellious people. And he is not worried about that. And we talk to him. And he has said, humble yourself. Cast all your anxieties on him. For he cares for you. (laughs) And we get to do that. And we don't. Because we're stupid. We're praying to the sovereign Lord, who is also a determined Savior. He is good and forgiving. He is constantly pursuing rebellious men and women who run from Him rather than listen to Him. And He's already given you the biggest gift He can. I know it's October, but um, go with me for a minute. One of our traditions at Christmas time is. That um, we um, we would do the little bitty gifts at the beginning, you know, the stuff you really didn't want—socks, underwear, that deal. Grateful, supposed to be grateful, didn't want it. Socks, underwear, and then there was a big gift, right? That was kind of our tradition in our home. God started with His biggest gift. He, he paid for our sin. He made a way for us to know and love him. And so Paul says in Romans 8, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? He's already given us the biggest thing he can. And so anything we ask for now is small. Do you get that? Dealing with our sin was the biggest problem we have. Everything else is small. And we get to bring them to him. Tim Keller tells the story about Alexander the Great, who had a general whose daughter was getting married. And Alexander valued this general greatly and offered to pay for the wedding. And when the general gave Alexander Stewart the bill, enormous and the steward came to alexander and named the sum to his surprise alexander said pay it and the steward's like man this is astronomical no one spends this kind of money on a wedding why should we pay it and alexander says this don't you see by asking me for such an enormous sum he does me great honor he shows that he believes i am both rich and generous We are praying to the Sovereign Lord who is a determined Savior. Keller ends that quote with a John Newton hymn that's going to be on the screen. Thou art coming to a king. Large petitions with thee bring. For his grace and power are such. None can ever ask too much. We're praying to the Sovereign Lord, who is also a determined Savior. So let's pray.